Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hello, everyone. This is Rosemary Coates, your host for this edition of Women and Manufacturing Podcast. I'm the executive director of the Reshoring Institute, where we help companies bring back or expand their manufacturing in the U.S. And I also run a global supply chain consulting firm called Blue Silk Consulting, where we help clients with global supply chain projects and where I also do expert witness work. On these podcasts, we interview accomplished women in business and ask them to share their experiences, and we are looking for insights from women leaders that we can all learn from. Today, I'm very excited to welcome my guest, Marianne Brennan. Marianne is the COO of Ninth Wonder Agency and the former VP of Procurement at Adidas, or Adidas, if you say it the German way and Mattel. So Mary Ann and I have both served on the board of directors at the University of San Diego Supply Chain Management Institute. So we've known each other for a few years. So welcome, Mary Ann. Let's start off and please tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be involved in global supply chains. Absolutely, Rosemary. Thank you again. For the past 30 years, I've been in the working professional, if you will, First 17, I was in marketing, sales, and with an undergrad degree from USC in marketing and finance, increased over time in various Fortune 500s. The last role was VP of marketing at Wells Fargo. I then left that role, and I jumped the fence and went to the dark side, as many said, and I went into procurement within supply chain. So I was there for about 13 years for two different companies, Mattel and Adidas, overseeing for Mattel global indirect procurement, the large majority of the spend for the company across various categories. And at Adidas, I was the head of uh, North America procurement. So just focused on North America, but part of a global team that did global efforts. So I did that for about 13 years. And then the past a little less than a year, predominantly during COVID, I have been the chief operating officer of an, a small an independent advertising agency called Ninth Wonder. And we have and operate in offices globally in Houston, LA, Dallas, Denver, New York, Phoenix, Detroit, Buenos Aires, and then a small city in Vietnam. Oh, okay. So let's start off talking about Mattel and Adidas for a minute. Um, so were you an indirect procurement at, at Mattel, correct? Yes, both roles were focused on indirect procurement. And Rosemary, I don't know if you want me to touch on this just to kind of start, but I'm interested, first of all, in explaining the difference. It's not everybody knows the difference between indirect procurement and procurement or indirect. So if you can kind of describe that, I think that would be helpful. Sure, sure. Let me start at the 50,000 foot level in general with the, the word procurement. The word purchasing, procurement, strategic sourcing, are all interchangeable. So what's kind of happened over the decades is purchasing once upon a time for those uh, boomers and Gen Xers was a term that was used, you know, up until probably maybe the 80s, late 90s. And in essence, it was a group within either finance or a supply chain that basically was responsible for purchasing commodity-based things. So it could have been some commodity-based product or it could have been pens and pencils and things like that, right? So direct 
procurement, if you will, or direct purchasing was the purchasing of commodities or physical things that go into a product or physical things that you need in an office. Back then, it was about pens and pencils and chairs and furniture and so on and so forth, right? You still had to buy other things, but there wasn't a focus on these other things like there is now. Over time, the word purchasing kind of transitioned into the word procurement. And then over time, it's transitioned into the word strategic sourcing. So in my eyes, strategic sourcing is the pinnacle of where people are today when they're doing procurement in the most proper way. Procurement is a term that in a company gets embraced, kind of like purchasing, but it's still thought of as a very finite, you know, step A to step Z process that starts and ends with those steps. Strategic sourcing in my eyes and in my experience is a continuum. So you start and you end with the same thing, which is strategy and the relationship. So very, very different. Um, Direct procurement, if you look at Fortune 500s and you were to say, I'm going to look at, I don't know, the Fortune 100. I'm just going to look at their logos and I'm going to play a game with myself and try to figure out what companies those logos represent. Most people will probably get a large majority of those logos correct in terms of what the names are for those companies. And you might ask yourself, well, why? That's because those companies spend an exorbitant amount of money on marketing. And that marketing puts those logos everywhere so that you know what those companies are. Well, someone has to create those logos. Someone has to create that advertising. Someone outside of the company typically helps the marketing organization do that. That company requires you to pay them to do so. That means there's a contract in place and a deal that needs to be done. And oftentimes the marketers are left to do that. So that that part of it is indirect, right? Yeah. So up until the late 90s and early 2000s, now procurement comes into play. So typically 20% of a company's revenue is your indirect procurement budget. So if we were talking about, say, Ford or GM, GM would be uh, the logos and the development of the marketing would be indirect spend, but then the actual parts that go into the car is direct spend, right? Right, right. So if you think of Mattel, everything that it takes to make any of the toys or any of the products that were created by Mattel, you know, so resin and crude oil were ultimately the, the biggest direct spend purchases that we had to make as a company. Everything we did was connected in some way, shape, or form to the price of resin and the price of crude oil. So whenever the relationship between that changed, those two commodities, it would significantly impact our revenue. So we had to watch that closely, hedge, et cetera. So that's the direct side, paint, paper, capital equipment, you know, all of these things go into even packaging we put in direct. Everything else that it takes to get the product to the marketplace or for the company to function and run is indirect. IT, HR, facilities, real estate, logistics, so over the road, ocean freight, air freight, marketing and advertising services, law services, so on and so forth. So it's any third-party relationship that you have to engage to create you know, a contract with so that you can operate it. 
So all of these wrap up into the cost of a product, right? So direct, you you can tie it. So resin, can you, you can tie directly to Barbie dolls, for example. But then the, the other indirect has to be allocated, right? Exactly. Okay. So, you know, what I'm seeing too is that nowadays all of these functions together have a much more fundamental understanding of the overall strategy of a company. I know when I started in the dark ages, <laughs> many moons ago, purchasing responded to requests and, you know, in some way the manufacturing guys would uh, deliver information through a requisition or something like that. And then they, they would purchase a product, but they really didn't connect to the strategy overall of the company. I think that's really changed over the years and evolved into something different. And as you said, you know, even going from uh, the terminology of purchasing to procurement to strategic sourcing to supply chain as signals the integration of all those parts. Yes, exactly. Exactly. There's a supply chain to buying and building partnerships, if you will. So it's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, really significant change. I mean, I think the whole supply chain and operations of a company has undergone the most significant change of any part of a company in the past 20 years or so. I mean, more oh, so than you would find in finance, for example, even marketing, the supply chain components of it, how they're linked together and how they're developed cause and effect relationships is really um, in the forefront these days. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting, Rosemary, to, to speak to that and dovetail it. Where a strategic sourcing organization or indirect procurement, whatever it's called, where it sits in a company is always a big question mark and whether it sits directly with direct procurement or not. So do you have a chief procurement officer? And if so, does that chief procurement officer have responsibility for direct as well as indirect or not? Many companies these days are tech companies. And the term for direct procurement is a bit different because the technology is technically usually a software of some sort or some technology of some sort, right? And so very, very different than buying physical equipment, which you still also need for technology. So it's kind of over time changed a bit um, versus like a traditional manufacturing company that would have the need for both a more traditional chief procurement officer with direct and indirect responsibilities. So depending on where you're at in your stage of what I call procurement transformation in your company, depending on the type of company you're at and depending on the size of company you are can really change where the procurement organization sits and what level of person that you have overseeing that. Whether you need a chief procurement officer or just someone to run procurement, do you sit in supply chain? Do you sit in finance? Do you sit with the people that you are actually supporting, which are typically called stakeholders? So if you're managing, you know, logistics spend, should you be reporting directly into the head of supply chain, head of operations for the company and managing their indirect spend? Or should you be reporting into a chief procurement officer and does that chief procurement officer report into the head of supply chain or into like finance, for example? Typically, what you find is the more junior the transformation of the procurement organization is in. So if they are new or if cost is a big focus, 
Typically, the procurement organization will report into the CFO. If it's a little more advanced or in a transitional phase, it'll probably report into supply chain or operations. It's so so interesting because I think we're we're seeing that across all the supply chain functions. So, for example, trade compliance, you know, import export stuff, and responsible for customs duties and that sort of thing. You know, in some cases, those people report into finance because they're related to spend. Some cases they report into logistics. Some cases into higher level supply chain people. The same thing when we talk about supply chain, does it include manufacturing or not, <laughs> right? So, right, well, same thing with design and development. Yeah. So you, you yeah. mentioned automobiles, you know, there's there's an entire design development and engineer team. Do they report into supply chain? Do they report into marketing? Do they report into some other function to the company? So at Mattel, for example, we moved all of our design development engineers so at the very, very early start of the supply chain to move into marketing. So they no longer reported into supply chain operations. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, and I think it is related to that. It's really a, a, a significant trend to watch. So we're we're so not back in the 1960s where everything was a little fiefdom and a little vertical inside a company. I mean, today there's so much interaction and the ability to move groups and ideas to different sections of the company where there's cause and effect relationship, like you were saying, moving production engineers or design engineers into a marketing function. I mean, that's really innovative, you know, and and creative in response to the business requirements. Yeah. And that was actually recommended by our chief procurement officer. So I, I think the message here is that To my point earlier, there's a transformation moving from purchasing to procurement to strategic sourcing. And the steps within that, I I wrote an article back in 2016, has indirect procurement earned a seat at the curriculum table, which was copywritten by the U.S. Copyright. And I've used that and I have been teaching a program at FITM that's strategies and business management. And I incorporate the whole art of and growth of and transformation of procurement and indirect procurement strategic sourcing into that. And when I talk about it, I talk about the phases, you know, of transformation. And when you are in a very advanced phase, you are integrated with the company. And most people don't understand that these roles are, it's a jack of all trade role. You have to understand the strategy of the company, the competition in the marketplace. You have to understand the industry at large. You have to understand various industries within the industry. For example, you have to understand how a attorney or law firm runs their firm. You have to understand ocean freight, air freight over the road. You have to understand real estate, marketing, specifically within marketing, media, creative, production. You have to understand HR from a terms of independent contractors or benefits, IT, software, hardware, services. You know, so so there is a array of industries and knowledge that you really have to have to do these roles effectively. And if you don't, if you don't have that experience, much like in supply chain, you won't be successful. Yes, that's an issue for a lot of people who have had a long career in these functions to to move to a more agile role within a company where they can respond appropriately. It's hard for people to change for sure, but we see that's what's coming. 
Are there any other trends in procurement that you think are important to call out at this point? I mean, I would think that IT, for example, the use of all kinds of systems is important and things like that that you that you see. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of things. First of all, it starts and ends with relationships. So I would say an ongoing, I wouldn't call it trend, but need is that individuals that are going into indirect, specifically into indirect procurement and facilitating relationships with companies that are trying to get best in class services, it behooves you to really understand the marketplace and really build those relationships and physically go when you can. I mean, right now we're limited, right? And what we can do, but you can get on Zoom, you can social distance and pay visits when it makes sense, but really get to know companies. The thing with what I've been doing in the past year, I am now physically in the shoes of a supplier, right? Um, first of all, using words like supplier is and vendor needs to stop. You need to call them your partners or potential partners or a firm. You know, if, it, if it's a law firm, you can call it a firm or an agency if it's an agency or a consulting firm, et cetera. But, you know, this whole transactional mindset needs to go away. The words like vendor and supplier are transactional mindset. So, so that needs to change too. Yeah, I had a, I had a client at American Airlines that a VP there in purchasing said, uh, vendors are people who sell hot dogs on the street. <laughs> and so, and he was, he was very finicky about using that word vendor. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it just sets the tone before you even have a chance to build a relationship. Yeah. And, you know, being on this side, it's just like interviewing for a job. And you first thing you do, you go on LinkedIn, you try to see who you know in that company. You try to see if you know anyone in the industry. You just try to draw connections. And you try to understand culture to see, hey, is this going to be a fit for me? Am I going to be a fit for them? Do I know anyone there? So on and so forth. And you do your research. Same thing with an RFP or a pitch. When you're running a pitch to obtain a new relationship with with an outside company, you really have to understand the dynamics of that culture and see if it's going to be a fit because your role is almost somewhat of a marriage counselor. Yeah. Right. And, you know, or, or maybe a matchmaker and then a marriage counselor, you know, so you really need to know your stuff and you need to build those relationships. It's, it's super powerful, but that's, that's with anything. I agree. I mean, there's no substitute for doing your homework and understanding what the industry issues are, as well as anything to do with that specific company. I mean, it gives you a completely different perspective when you're talking to them and, and pitching or just, you know, talking to them in general in terms of the relationship building. It's very important. So I want to switch a little bit now and, and ask you to tell us a little bit more about Ninth Wonder and what you're doing at the company there. Sure. I'm happy to to talk about that. Um, and I do think that the topic of talent too, if we have time, would be would be great to touch on, Rosemary. So I transitioned to be, you know, I was client side for many years. Then I went procurement client side, which I kind of, when you're a procurement person for a company, you're kind of riding the fence. Yes, you're employed by the client, but you're kind of riding the fence because you need to understand and partner with the, the partner of choice, as well as your internal stakeholder or client. So I now have gone a third step and I've gone to the outside, you know, looking in, if you will. So I'm running the operations for an ad agency that is a small 
to mid-size ad agency. We have under 250 employees. I mentioned all the locations earlier that we're in both in the US and globally. But, you know, it doesn't matter the size of the of the company that you're at. The reality is 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 we all get treated the same and operate the same with one another in these partnerships. So, it's been really enlightening to see how the ad industry is really missing what I would say is just basic business practice. So operations and running an organization. So this year we've put 30 strategic initiatives in place that are under. That's a lot. That, those are uh, initiatives that you're overseeing? Yeah. So we're, we're about a little more than three quarters of the way done. By the end of the year, we will have implemented all of them. We've already got the big stuff done, thankfully. <laughs> and we've done majority of this in this COVID remote environment, which has been amazing. Our pillars are brand culture and growth. So growth is the obvious stuff, margin and revenue and getting a hold of utilization rates and agency profitability models, what we are looking at from an M&A perspective, and just really looking at the 5, 10 plus year plan. If we were to sell at what point? Where do we need to be and what are we looking for in order to be in that position? Culture is really all about talent and making sure 80% of our costs are our overhead. And our relationships are built based on the people that we hire. So managing talent is critical for us. Uh, Managing the culture is critical for us. What type of positioning as a company do we want to have? What are our non-negotiables? you know, just uh, benefits and all these kinds of things. So we've had to put in an array of HR policies and processes in place and an array of operational IT technology so that we can have some automation and efficiency and just structure as an organization. So everything you can imagine to run a company effectively is under culture. And then brand is everything external facing. So managing our relationships with our clients, which is critical our brand itself, how do we grow and evolve? Our position now is the power of difference. We believe in the power of difference. We have um, two really interesting insights that we brought forth around calling it Consumer X and Latin X, which is basically advertising differently to the world because the world has changed. Everyone is Consumer X. That's such an important thing for us to take away. The, the world is changing and we, we better be prepared to change along with it. I think that's essential to success. Yeah, we're um, in the middle of a pitch with a big sports brand that is looking to do some really significant and what I would call trailblazing work around this whole topic of uh, racism in the world. We just recently presented some mind-blowing, you know, and I'm being a little partial because I work for the company, but I would say it's mind-blowing approach and position of this because they have a really, really amazing brand and they're the right ones to do this. So we'll see if they move forward with it, but our tag of power of difference really was at the heart of that and we were kind of prepared to do that. So so it's been interesting being on the side of the fence. That's certainly, yeah, that, that addressing the differences among us is certainly topical, right? For not only in terms of uh, race and preferences, but also, you know, just in general, even our political environment, that emphasizing the differences is maybe a path to curing those differences or making them more amicable. Absolutely. And that's what the core of the insight is. Like, I'll give you an example with Latinx. I have a Dominican background, um, Afro-Latina, 
among other things in my bottle of mix, but I am second generation. So my mom immigrated here from the Dominican Republic. So English is her second language, but she's been here 50 plus years. So English has become her first language. That said, she does not hardly ever speak Spanish first, nor does she watch Spanish TV. Neither do I. However, if people look at us or or assess us, they say, oh, well, you're Hispanic and put you in a bucket and they advertise to you in that way. Well, the reality is, is that, yes, we identify with being Hispanic, but we don't want to be spoken to in Spanish. Mm -hmm. And so there is a several trillion dollar market of people that spend that much money on products and things that get spoken to in a way that they're not being advertised to effectively, which is essentially what Latinx is about. So we have various webinars. If you go to my LinkedIn, you can see I've posted some of them up there or just reach out to us. We're happy to do a separate, it's a whole much longer conversation, sure. but um, imagine. Well, it's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's the operations of the world, right? We are operating differently as a world and we really have to understand that so that we can all do our jobs better. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So interesting. And what we see coming down the pike for uh, for changes in advertising and addressing issues and so forth. It's interesting. We should keep our eyes open for that. Um, Marianne, yeah, yeah. I know you also teach at FIDM, FIDM, right? So it's a creative. Yeah, can, you, yeah. can you tell us a little bit about the college itself and what you're teaching and why you think it's important? Sure, sure. And I don't want to just be partial to FIDM. I also sit on the boards um, at USC, at University of San Diego. And then I partner with and talk to, I mentor over 100 people. And and I talk to a lot of different companies and, and organizations all the time about this topic. And I mentioned talent earlier, and I mentioned the blog that I wrote. I am doing this to give back. I wish that when I was younger, I would have had the tools that people have today. So I committed a long time ago to a mentor when I asked them how I could pay them back. They said, do the same thing for you, for other people that I've done for you. So I committed to myself to do this many years ago. So I teach strategies in business management at the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising in Los Angeles. A friend of mine who's the head of the program and, and designed it and I were talking and I have a brother who's a designer and I've been in marketing in the creative field for a long time. And I said, do you know what the biggest challenge is for me? And he said, no, what? And I said, you know, I use my right and my left brain a lot. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not being funny. It's just, you know, I grew up with a mom who's very, very creative and a father who they used to call Rain Man because he was so good with numbers. And so I have this analytical creative thing going on. And many people in the marketing and advertising space do not have the analytical side. Right. So the business piece of it isn't taught. So at FITM, they're taught about fashion, but they're not taught about business. So I teach about business. I teach about branding yourself. I teach about strategies in business, how to operate within an organization. If you're an entrepreneur or you're working for a company, how do you do that? And how do you operate within? How do you look at revenue and profit and stocks and what's important in the marketplace and market share and so on and so forth? And then I also talk about procurement and how important it is. And the reason I do that is because in my blog, I wrote this. Undergrad and grad schools do not have courses that teach you about procurement, uh -huh. especially about indirect procurement. So when you go through your undergrad or grad and you focus on supply chain, you might take an operations management course that might have a chapter on procurement 
or commodities, but that's it. And that's all you get. And and there are thousands of jobs out there for procurement. And there's thousands. I mean, what do we have? 12.5 million unemployed people right now. Yeah. There are tons of procurement jobs out there. And unfortunately, people don't even know they exist. Yeah. So I, it's my way to try to give back and from the grassroots and the ground up, community up, if you will, teach people and try to build a network of talent. That's my personal goal. And my passion is to tr- try to create a swell of people that are educated the right way in procurement. And I love that idea that you're teaching skills to right brain people who uh, otherwise, you know, wouldn't even consider it or would have no idea where to even begin. That's that's just fantastic because I yeah, think I all- real quick. I just wanted to say also um, University of San Diego, who you and I you know, were on the advisory board at. They also, as you know, and, and maybe the audience doesn't know, but they're looking at opportunities to partner better with the business school. And in that they're looking at incorporating courses like this into the program. They're a leading supply chain school. So they're ahead of the game. I know ASU is thinking about it. USC is already doing it with their master's program. So it's starting to happen. The more we talk about it, the better, the closer we'll get to to having great talent out there. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we're all of our careers are becoming more hybrid. I mean, just think about how much technology we use on a day to day basis, whether we're just typing something in Word or an email or doing a spreadsheet or something like that. I mean, none of that existed in the past. We pass that off to somebody else. Right. So the integration of uh, all kinds of aspects of business, I think, is really important for people, women in particular, in careers today. Yeah, yeah. And these roles are amazing roles. I know a long term topic has been about, you know, the male dominated (laughs) atmosphere of of manufacturing and supply chain environments. This is a phenomenal avenue for women to come in and add some diversity and thinking. Negotiating and building relationships is critical. And, you know, you can come in and learn these types of skill sets. At Mattel, for the 11 years I was there, I had 10 sets of leadership over 11 years, lots of change. We used to joke and say the only thing constant is change in this company. You, as a result, have to build relationships. You have to understand the strategy of the company at a very high level in order to to do your job effectively. So these roles truly are jacks of all trades. You have to understand finance and analytics, relationships, the product of your company, strategy. You have to know project management and really be organized and strong in communications. So I I strongly encourage people to look into it and find ways to parlay your existing career into something like that, if that's something you're interested in. Because the other thing is, is you talked about the future and what should people be thinking about. Procurement organizations have been doing this, but they need to do more of it. They need to do kind of what I've done, which is go from marketing to procurement to an agency side or supplier side, if you will, partner side basis and really have that experience and then choose where you want to be and then just bring that value there, right? So if you're going to procurement and you're an IT person or an HR or facilities or logistics, you know, take your best practices that you know from that industry and that that sector of business and go to procurement and kill it and build those relationships and then go back or, or move on to something else. It's, it's, it's an underappreciated role. And I think people don't understand how amazing the experience is and how much they could catapult their career by doing it. So 
Thank you, Mariana. I'm really lots of really great insights that I think we can take away and apply to our day-to-day life. Really appreciate that. Would you like to share your contact information or would you prefer people just reach out to you on LinkedIn or somewhere else? I love LinkedIn. I'm a big promoter of LinkedIn. Okay. <laughs> I um I much like everybody in this world. Yeah, you've got Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, email, text messages, phone calls, all that. I have to say I'm best at things like in-mail messages on LinkedIn. Okay. That's number one. But I will also provide my email address, you know, so people are, are happy to or free to email me as well. So I use my consulting email address. It's Alpha State. So A L P H A S T is in Palm and then the number eight consulting at gmail.com. And you're probably like, what does Alpha State mean? Alpha State is the creative state of mind that you're in when right before you wake up. Ah. And it is the state that I kind of find my best ideas and ways forward in in the morning. I woke up one morning and that was the idea. So ah, very- that's how I do that. And LinkedIn, you can use that G- that email um, for LinkedIn to connect with me. I'll make sure that my email, or excuse me, my LinkedIn is opened up. I typically had it closed because when I was in uh, procurement, you can imagine yeah. every supplier on earth was trying to connect with me and it was overwhelming. So, yeah, right. <laughs> but I will make sure that's open. And anything I can do for anybody at any time, I'm happy to benchmark, coach, train, you know, mentor, whatever you need. Love interacting. It's the only way forward for all of us. We have to partner together. Well, thank you so much again. So for our audience, uh, you can listen to more podcasts on women in manufacturing at the website, www.women, W-O-M-E-N-A-N-D-M-F-G, so womenandmfg.com. And you can reach me, Rosemary Coates, at rcoates, R-C-O-A-T-E-S, at reshoringinstitute.org and visit our website, which is www.reshoringinstitute.org, where we publish all of our research on manufacturing in America. Thanks again and have a great day. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.